Holy smokes, guys, it's ready. It's finally here. I wrote this children's book years ago, and I want my boys to know that they have siblings, siblings that unfortunately they won't be able to meet here on earth. I want them to know that I think about our angels and that it's okay if they think about them too. So this book is double-sided. One sided is the brother version. I'm a brother to an angel, and the other side is the sister version. I'm a sister to an angel, and I'm absolutely obsessed with how it turned out. Out. I've ordered a bulk order of 250 copies so if you'd like one for yourself or if you'd like to gift one you can actually pre-order it at shellymetling.com and I will direct link in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for the support you guys and I can't wait to get this book out to you all. Hello everyone we have Baron DeChico. Did I do it right? Yeah, you did. Chico on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Baron, I am just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Sure. Sounds good. Well, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Uh, I met my husband, Alfonso, back in university um, in 2013. And he's actually from Vancouver. <laughs> he came out here and has obviously stayed because I, I don't want to move to Vancouver. Um, <laughs> And I'm from a little town here in southern Alberta, Canada, and we're about two, two and a half hours from like a major, major big city with like a million people kind of thing. Um, yeah, so we met in 2013, and it's so funny because at the time, both of us were like, no kids ever, we liked our lives, we didn't want kids, and then of course, you know, you start, like your friends and your family start to have babies, and you're immersed in it, right? Because your friend comes over and they have their kids with them, right? And, you know, you just, you start to see the joy, I guess, in their eyes. And, you know, we started to really think that maybe one day we would want to have kids. And, but, you know, we were just at a university, so we were trying to get our careers going and whatnot. Uh, fast forward to 2017, we sold my husband's house and we bought a lot and we built our house in our small town that I'm from. I never left. <laughs> And, you know, it was great. And that's when I really started to get baby fever. I was like, okay, you know what? I've got my career going. You know, I really, really want a baby. And I was like, you're not proposing. This is getting annoying. Like, let's just have a baby. <laughs> like, do it backwards. Whatever. I don't care. I'm getting older. You know, by this point, I was 28 or 27, I guess. Yeah. So I was like, I want a baby. And my husband said, well, my now husband said, you know, I don't, we were living at my dad's temporarily until our house was built. So he made a good point. He didn't want to have to cart around baby stuff and all that. And so I thought, okay, fine. And then he kind of threw me a curveball because in June of 2017, he proposed. And I always knew I wanted a fall or winter wedding. So I thought, perfect, we'll get married in January 2018. And then baby making time. Because <laughs> now I'm at this point being married at 28. So, you know clock is a ticket. And especially because I didn't know if we could have kids, you know, he's 30, well now he's 35 or just turned 36. So we're both older. It wasn't like we're 18, 20. So things, you know, things can change. Things don't always work. Um, so 22, we got married and then we kind of decided that for the first few months we would just, you know, be married, go see his family in Vancouver, do all those little things. And then in May, we started really trying. And, you know, I was one month, I thought, okay, if I'm not pregnant, then I'm gonna start doing all this stuff. And of course, didn't get pregnant. And then <laughs> I started going crazy and stressing like crazy about it. 
So of course I go and buy like the special thermometer that you can do every morning for to keep your temperature to see if you're ovulating. And then my cousin sent me a whole bunch of ovulation strips that were going to expire from her pregnancies. So I'm I'm taking these tests and I'm I'm just going crazy. I went to the dollar store and bought pregnancy tests and ovulation tests and nothing happens. And nothing happens. I was even tracking my period and my ovulation in the app and still nothing. <laughs> so looking back, I was just like, oh, this is a stupid thing I'm going to do. But I started stressing. And uh, we went on a family trip with his family down to um, his aunt and uncle's cabin. And I'm trying not to stress, but you know, it's hard. It's only been a few months by this point, it's July, and then still nothing, nothing, nothing. Fast forward to October of 2018, and we end up going to Palm Springs uh, with his aunt and uncle and my in-laws, like my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, my sister-in-law and her family, um, because his aunt was actually dying uh, from cancer. So this was kind of like our last hurrah with her, and they have a holiday house down in Palm Springs. So we went down there, and. Of course, that's the week I'm ovulating. <laughs> and luckily, we have this little guest house off the main house. So I'm like, no, we're like, we're not stopping. Just because we're here, we're doing it. And we had the room and the space too. But it wasn't like we were sharing a house with everyone else. So, um, and of course, we're having fun. We're relaxed, having a great time, you know, sitting by the pool, drinking, just being married, having a great time. And of course, that made me relax. And yeah, fast forward a few weeks and I'm late. I don't have my period. <laughs> and you know, I know from before, like, oh, do I want to take a test? Like, it's just going to be negative and then I'm going to be sad again. So my best friend literally lives down the street from me. Uh, she came over and she's like, no, you're peeing on that stick right now. <laughs> so I did. Sure enough, it's a positive. And I was in shock. I just, I looked at it and I said, what? You know, I've been trying for five, six months, and which I mean, in hindsight, is not even the average. I mean, the average is usually a year. So <laughs> I was just like, holy crap. Um, and I remember my husband was at a meeting that he had for a board that he sits on. And my friend was over, and he, my cousin slash one of my best friends, she came over, and so we told her the news. And then my husband came home and I had the pregnancy test you know, sitting under a blanket on our counter. <laughs> and so I said, oh, Fonz, um, I call him Fonz or Alfonso. Um, I said, oh, hey, can you get me that blanket? And <laughs> he, uh, he picked up the blanket and there's a pregnancy test. And so he started crying. I started crying. My friend recorded it all. Like it was just super cute. And everything was going great. Everything went perfect. So it's a little bit different than some people's stories for sure. Um, I ended up having, for the most part, a perfect pregnancy. I mean, I was thicker than a dog. I mean, I couldn't eat food until noon every day. I couldn't even drink water until noon. Coffee, um, the smell of cigarette smoke, all that kind of stuff just repulsed me. And everyone's like, oh, you're having a boy, you're having a boy. And I remember, maybe this is why what happened to me happened to me. I don't know. <laughs> I believe in karma. So I, February of 2019, we found out we were having a boy. And of course, like, I guess I should back up here. In Canada, we do get genetic testing with our health care benefits. 
Uh, so it's completely free. And so in week 13, I did go for genetic testing. And I remember the girl, she kept saying he, he. But if I'm right, I don't think you can tell gender that early on. And so I think she's just saying he because that's probably what she always does. And I remember leaving her just like, oh, I really want a girl. I really want a girl. I've only ever seen myself with girls. And, you know, Hans, like, do you think it's going to be a boy? Like, why? He's like, she has no idea. Like, you can't tell yet. Sure enough, going out ultrasound in February, and it's a boy. And I just remember crying and crying. I was so sad. Um, a little backstory here. Like, everyone I know has girls. <laughs> so I literally only know girls. And I just cried for a week. I cried. I was so sad. In hindsight, now looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? That was a horrible thing. <laughs> I will never tell myself this. Um, but then, you know, I started to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I had, I'm having a boy and I started to see the fun things about having a boy. Well, April, I started to swell up really, really bad. Um, my gyno, baby doctor, she wasn't worried about it just because I had low blood pressure. So there was no threat of preeclampsia or anything like that. Uh, but one thing that didn't help is when I was eight months pregnant, my husband's grandfather passed away. So we had to get on a flight to Calgary because he was very close um, to his grandfather. So we had to get, sorry, we had to take a flight from Calgary to Vancouver <laughs> to get there. And that just did not help my swelling whatsoever. I had runners on at the time and <laughs> I literally took them off. I had to peel them off my feet because it was so bad. And this is May too, so it's getting quite warm out. Um, and I just remember being so uncomfortable the whole time. And then June was great. I took two weeks off right before my math we started. And in Canada, we are very lucky to get the choice of having either 12 months or 18 months. So I did choose the 18 months and I had a beautiful baby boy, July 3rd, 2019. And I named him Mateo. And he's the light of my life. I just, I love him so much. And now looking back thinking, oh wow, like really five, six months of time really isn't that long. Like this is, you know, we know we can carry a full-term baby. We know we can get pregnant. You know, this is great. Um, but taking 18 months, I mean, you know, it takes a little bit longer to get back to work and then start trying again. So I kind of calculated out the months and I said to my husband, I'm like, okay, if I get pregnant in October, 2020, that means I get to do my first trimester at home and I will have six months enough to get my $600 for EI and I can go back off again. And I was dreading going back to work. And one of the things that's funny for me is a, I never thought I wanted kids, and then that changed. And then I always said, you know, okay, I want kids, but I will never want to be a stay-at-home mom. Like, I just can't. And, of course, you know, things change when you have a kid. And I just remember crying and being so sad that I had to go back to work and begging my husband for the last year, especially with COVID, begging and begging, like, we can do this. I promise you we can do this. Like, let's try everything in our power to make this work. I was taking my EI and like hoarding it and putting it in the savings account to put on their mortgage. You know, I, I wanted to stay home so bad. So fast forward to October and we're like, okay, we're going to start trying. But you know, with Mateo, it took us five, six months. So I'm thinking, okay, 
if we get pregnant by June of 2021, we're laughing. Like, this is going to be whatever. So let's just have fun. And I'm just very laissez-faire about it. No big deal. So October comes, and um, I'm like, oh, crap, we're going to start crying. I need to get my prenatals. Totally split my mind to do it, you know, six months prior. So I'm starting to keep my prenatals, and, you know, I... I'm a very regular person. I know exactly what my period is. I have since I was like 20 years old. And I, you know, I trying to get pregnant with Mateo, I learned a lot about ovulation and when does it occur and then the apps help. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just start tracking my period in the app and whatever. And then if we have to start doing the ovulation tests and stuff, fine. Like we'll do that, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. But like my husband even said, just have fun with it. Like, don't get stressed if you get with Mateo because it's just going to take us longer. So I thought, okay, we're just going to have fun. So we literally try on our ovulation date in October. And then two weeks later, I'm supposed to get my period. And lo and behold, I am late. <laughs> I'm thinking, no, there's no way, no way. Like, this can't be happening. And so I thought, okay, well, if I'm this late, like I should probably go and just get a test and then I'll tell me I'm negative and we can move on. And then I can have a dream. Um, so basically every Saturday we go to my family farm, to my grandparents' house and we have family dinner. But that's when me, my aunt, my grandma bring out the wine and we drink wine. <laughs> so, you know, this is Friday and we're going to go out for dinner to their house on Saturday. So I thought, okay, let's just do an early test and see. Wouldn't you know what I'm pregnant? I'm just sitting there like, holy F, what just happened? Like, how is it that I get pregnant first go? Like, we literally had sex like twice that month just because it was a busy month. My husband was super busy. Um, he is in a job with uh, our health entity here. And like with his normal duties and then with COVID, it's just been crazy busy for him. And he's worked long nights, having to get up at all hours of the night to do work. So we didn't have much of a, a let's get at her <laughs> kind of thing. So we really kept it for the ovulation days. And when we hold, here I am. I am literally pregnant. And I just remember, <laughs> I got back to the house, feet on the stick, got positive. I called my best friend, the same best friend that knew first when I was pregnant with my son. And I'm like, I'm pregnant. Like, I am literally pregnant. What? <laughs> And so, you know, that first day you're kind of on cloud nine. And I remember a few weeks before we started trying, I was ordering Christmas gifts and I saw the little, or uh, the big brother shirt. And I thought, wouldn't that be so cute to be as like a, an announcement type thing for our family. So I ordered this little, or this big brother shirt for the tail. And I thought, well, it, it like I said, it was gonna take like six weeks. I thought, well, we're not gonna be pregnant anytime soon, so that's fine. And literally that day, my husband walked in the house after getting the mail. He got the shirt in the mail. And then I'm like, well, by the way, I'm pregnant. And he's like, because I've joked about this before. And I, he's like, no, you're not. And I said, yes, like, I am legit pregnant. Like, Mateo is going to be a big brother. And he said, no, like, you're just joking. I'm like, oh, I'm being serious. So I ran upstairs, grabbed the pregnancy test, ran back down. I'm like, here, here, like, look at this. There's a positive. And he just went, he just went white. He was so in shock. I was in shock. And then once that was done, 
that night it hit me. Holy shit, I'm pregnant. And I literally have to tell my boss that I am pregnant <laughs> as I'm still on mat leave. Um, now, I guess to kind of back up, my mat leave coverage for my mat leave with my son, she had actually quit in July. So they had kind of quickly trained one of our COVID reps up to kind of take over my job until I came back. And they were tossing around, like my work was kind of tossing around the idea of me coming back early. And I think they would have preferred me to come back full time, but I said, absolutely not. Because if this is my one and only child, I don't want to ruin my alley for it. And in hindsight, I'm so glad I stuck my guns on this. Plus with COVID, up in Canada right now, it's so hard to get daycare. I didn't, I was on the wait list for my daycare when my son was two months old. And I didn't even know if I had daycare for January when I went back, like this month. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't even get daycare, so no. But I will work from home when he's napping or sleeping. And so that's what I was doing. So I've been kind of working. So like, I, because I knew like I need to have a good relationship with my boss because when I left on mat leave, he had just come in six months before and it was very turbulent and we had a lot of growing pains. And so when I left, it, it was a good thing I left on mat leave because we weren't on the greatest of terms. And so I really tried hard. So I've been working at home and I'm like, oh God, now I have to tell him. And then when I told one of my friends, she's like, but you really want to tell him that you're pregnant and then something happens. Like he's not exactly the most like great person to like say, oh, by the way, I'm miscarried and now I have no baby. Or they're gonna, he's going to do something stupid and try to like put someone in your spot or something, right? We couldn't put it past him. So I thought, you know, good point. I will wait until at least my dating ultrasound. So I booked the appointment with my family doctor um, to confirm my pregnancy and he's an older guy he's going to retire soon um the only reason i switched to him was because he was my husband's doctor and he was the only doctor who would get us to a pediatrician because in canada you need referrals for everything you can't just see any doctor you have to have a referral and my previous family doctor would not give me a referral for a pediatrician for my son and this doctor would so then i just kind of switched us all over there and yeah, like then COVID happened and he let go all his staff. And then as the doctor, he's running the clinic and being the receptionist, being the doctor. And I think he's ready to retire. So anyways, what kind of sealed the top and shut with that is I'd done the P-test and he came into the room and he says to me, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm pregnant. And I obviously know that I have to come and confirm it. And he says to me, well, I don't know why you came. You already know you're pregnant. And I was like, what? No, you're supposed to be like, do tests or give me the blood work, give me my genetic testing. And I had asked him for it. I said, I want the genetic testing because we do have a birth defect in my family. Uh, my mom suffered it with my sister who would have been two years younger than me. She ended up being born at about seven or eight months. I mean, not many people talk about it. So I, uh, don't know these notes, just from what my dad and my mom had told me. Um, so she had her, and at the time, back you know in the '90s, abortion was still a really bad thing, and you know DNCs weren't really a thing at the time. And so they knew for months that this baby was not going to be viable, and she had to keep going to Calgary to get these tests done and ultrasounds done, and just to know that when she finally had the baby, the baby would die within like 20 minutes to an hour, kind of thing. And that's exactly what happened, and it messed her up. To the point where they never had or even tried for another kid 
Um, so I'll come back to that because that's kind of a big thing. <laughs> yeah, it'll come up. Um, so I really wholeheartedly believe in this genetic testing just because I don't want to go through that. I know I mentally cannot handle that. Um, so I'd rather know at, you know, the 13 week mark versus at eight months, you know, giving birth to a baby who's going to die essentially in a week or two. All right, a couple hours. Um, so anyways, he couldn't even figure out this genetic testing. <laughs> I'm sitting there feeling like, well, here, call the genetic geneticist in Calgary to get the right paperwork. And he just couldn't figure it out. For an hour, we sat there trying to figure this out. And finally, he gave me these papers that I think were it. Like, they, in the end, they were. And I was just so mad by this point. But I got in my car, and I started searching new doctors who were taking patients. And I found one on the other end of the town. And I was like, perfect. You know what? I'm giving him a call. And they were able to schedule all three of us in, Taylor, myself, and my husband, two weeks later. And I was like, thank God. Like, I need this actual right paperwork. So I go in and everyone, like everyone that found out I was pregnant was like, oh, your boss is going to hate you. Oh, your work is going to hate you, which rightfully so. Um, and, you know, I was already starting to stress about that too, that, oh my God, like, I feel like a horrible employee. I'm like the people that, you know, uh, we always bitched about essentially. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. But at the same time, I'm also 30. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I want to be done having kids by the time I'm 35 because, of course, then, you know, you're considered geriatric pregnancy and all the risk that goes with that. So <laughs> I, we went to the same doctor and he got me all the paperwork I needed and, of course, the, you know, initial blood work. And me being the way I am with COVID and everything, we've been very sheltered in place. We see my family and that, and a couple close friends, and that's about it. And so, where we are, we have to book appointments for lab work. And I had booked the appointment, but then I wasn't able to make the appointment because I had my son, and you know, he's walking and stuff, like he just doesn't work. Um, we're good with this kind of stuff. So, I had the appointment booked for the end of November. And then I had the genetic, or no, sorry, I had the genetic testing blood work booked for the last week of December, so right after Christmas. And then two weeks before that, I had my normal blood work done. And in hindsight, I guess I should have probably done the blood work sooner, but I've already had one successful pregnancy. I, I've never been told that I have any issues or health risks or anything. So to me, I'm like, hmm, you know, and I'll get to it when I get to it. And I did see with my toddler. And plus getting everything ready for back to work. I'm working at home and, you know, whatever. I could make all the excuses. In the end, it was my fault. I didn't go. And maybe had I, maybe they would have seen some HCV levels or something. I don't know. So I had a dating ultrasound booked for December 17th. And I'm excited. Like, I'm just like, whatever, you know, nothing's, you know, we've been through this already. I know what to expect. My husband was super busy that day, so I said, well, you know, if you can't come to the appointment, that's fine. You know, it's not like this is our first baby and it's exciting, right? Like, we've been through this already, and yeah, it's exciting, but it's not the first, right? So, my mom had come into town at that point, and she was able to watch my son, and I guess I should back up here because this kind of gives context. This, this was a Thursday. The Sunday before, uh, my aunt and my grandma had asked me to come and judge Christmas like this place because my aunt, or my aunt works for the town here. 
And so we did, and we had gone over to my grandparents' house earlier that day to deliver presents. And my son was kind of acting off, but we didn't really know why or like under like it didn't look like he was looking back at pictures, he definitely was. And then when I got home at about nine o'clock at night, I quickly ran to McDonald's, got some food, and I quickly scarfed it down because my husband had said that my son wasn't going down. And so I went and picked him up and I just rocked him in the rocking chair in his room with him. And he was kind of shivering, like, you know, feverish kind of, but not fevering, but he was warm. And I was like, oh, he's not doing so good. And then I'm like, oh God, I hope it's not COVID. Like, oh my God, I don't know how we would have got COVID, but oh my God. So I booked a COVID test for Monday at three o'clock. We went and put our swabs done. And that night we did our normal bedtime routine. 7.30, my husband laid him down in his crib. By nine, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to bed. And all of a sudden I hear, I got woken up to this pounding in the baby monitor. And I looked and he was moving. And so I went into the room and he was seizuring. And that was probably the scariest thing ever. He, I picked him up and I ran downstairs because my husband was in the basement and I just screamed, Fawn, 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 you've got to come here. And he grabbed the tail from me and I, he told me to call my one one, so I did. And it took forever, 12 minutes for them to come, like literally five seconds away. And they came and we ended up going to the hospital in the ambulance, me and him, and then my husband met us there. And of course, they won't let two parents back. So we just named a tail and he was steadily getting worse. And to the point where he was asleep, he was so lethargic, he couldn't move. And I said, like, we've done a COVID test. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then they said, it looks like he's got a fever seizure or febrile seizure. I'm not using that long, which is something that I had a lot when I was a kid. And I mean, that's the better option than having epilepsy like my husband had from the time he was three months to 16 years old. So we left there about 1.30 in the morning. And then he, I literally got no sleep that night because I laid on the couch with him. And every five minutes I was taking his temperature, I was making sure that he's alive, you know? And then the next day his fever kind of broke and he was eating a little bit, playing a little bit, but then by the night time his fever shot up to 40 degrees um, Celsius. And I remember all night staying up with him, taking his temperature and he just kept fluctuating. And we called 811, which is our, like you can call them and tell them your symptoms and they can decide if you should go to the hospital or not. In that night, my husband called and then two hours later I called and she said, you need to go back to the hospital. Like the fever's not breaking, the Tylenol and Motrin, this is a bad thing. So at six in the morning, I rushed into the hospital again. And then they finally did some tests. They did the swab to see if he had the strep throat. By this point, we already know we're negative for COVID. So they did a throat swab and urine analysis. And we finally left there at like 10.30. And I just remember asking my husband multiple times that week, like, are you sure that baby is okay? Like in my tummy, like the, the unborn baby. And he's like, yeah, like, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. And I just, because, you know, I wasn't, thinking about baby, I was thinking more about my son. And, you know, I just had this, looking back, I had this weird feeling that maybe something was wrong. I, I never asked that question for my, with my son when I was pregnant with him ever. And sure enough, I go to the ultrasound and I did, I drink the water, everything. And they call me back and she says to me, oh, um, did you drink the water? And I said, yeah, it's really weird that 
you know, usually I have to pee so bad that I can barely hold it, and this time I'm not. And she came back, and then we get into the room, and my general home, right? And she says, um, so we're doing a dating ultrasound, and I said, yeah, and like, I wanna know, like, is there one or two? My dad is an identical twin um, brother, and I wanna know if we have twins or one. And she'd asked me, because I hadn't said that first, she'd asked me, well, why do you think we have twins? And so I told her, and she said, oh, okay. So I left out my shirt, she starts, you know, doing her thing, and she's not saying anything. And she's not turning the TV on to show me, she's not turning the monitor, and there's no sound. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, we've had that too in the past where like, they just try to get their pictures quick and then they show us. So I'm like, okay, don't freak out. Like, it's fine. And I could kind of see like through her safety glasses, like kind of like the fetus or whatever, but not enough to take anything out. And she's just not smiling. She's not anything. And she looked young, like she's new. And I just, oh, I might just scream at her after, but all of a sudden she said, can you lift up your arms? I'm going to check your kidneys. And I don't remember them doing that with Mateo, but maybe they did. I don't know. And I said, okay. And she's still not saying anything. And I'm like, you know, and of course you want to ask, but then you don't because you're like, maybe it is bad, right? And like, if it, obviously at that time, she probably would have said, I can't see anything anyways. So after like five minutes, like this all took like literally five minutes, she said, okay, I'm just going to go see um, if the doctor needs anything else. And I'm like, what? I was like, that's never happened before. Like, because Matilda never, ever, ever did that. So at that point, she's like, hey, go pee, and I'm going to go get the doctor, or go talk to the doctor. And I thought, okay. And, you know, my heart's pounding a little bit. I'm thinking, oh, God, there's something wrong. But I'm like, no, no, you don't know that. Stay positive. Like, you don't know that. Go pee. I come back, and I'm sitting on the bed, and all of a sudden, the doctor walks in with her. And at that point, I was just like, I started to, like, start to shake and my heart started pounding. I'm like, okay, you guys are starting to scare me now. Tell me, like, is something wrong? And the doctor kind of looks at me and you can tell he's trying to feign sincerity, but really he's done this so many times. He doesn't give a shit, like, let's be honest. And he says, well, yeah, there is something wrong. Um, there is no heartbeat. That's all I've been told. And I said, you're joking. Like, what, what do you mean there's no heartbeat? He's like, I'm sorry, there, there's no heartbeat. We tried to call your family doctor, but he's unavailable right now. So when you leave here, you're going to want to call your doctor and discuss options. And I'm like, what? What is happening? And she, this girl's just standing there, like a deer caught in the headlights. And I just wanted to punch in the face. Like, I was just so fucking mad. I was so angry. And then they say, and I start crying. Like, I'm trying to hold it in, but I am tearing up. And they're like, if you can take me as long as you want in the room. I'm like, no, I just, I want to get out of here. Like, I need to go in my car and actually cry. Like, I, I just need out of here. So I left, and I'm trying to be nice and as nice as I can be to these people, but I'm fucking mad. I'm angry, and I'm angry at the fact that they're not crying with me. And why would they? This has nothing to do with them. <laughs> they're just terrible bad news. And I get to my car, and like as soon as I get out of the office, I'm crying. I get to my car and I phone my husband and I just say, like, I, I can't even talk. I, like, I just cry and I say, there's no heartbeat. I couldn't understand me. And I just like, just fucking listen to me. Like, you know, and I just, just listen to me. And he can't understand me because I'm crying. And I'm like, there's no heartbeat. I had to tell him this like four times before he actually registered what I was saying. And he was just like, what? Like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's just no heartbeat. They didn't give me any other information. 
And so I was like, anyways, I'm going to go and I'm going to drive home and we can talk when I get home. I just, uh. so then I called my best friend, no one that lives down the street from me, and I say, there's no heartbeat. Like, because we're like sisters. I'm the only child, I'm the only grandchild. She's like my sister. And um, she's like, I'm too poor right here. And like, you need to call your doctor, like, do it before you leave town, just in case he wants to see you. So I pulled over and I called my family doctor. And as I'm waiting on hold, he was calling me to give me the Teo's um, results, which ended up coming back as good, but nothing was wrong with him. He just had a, a virus or infection, whichever one you can't transfer to other people. And it was just something in the throat, and thank God. But, um, and by this point, he was doing better. Like, he, his fever had broken everything, so he was fine. Um, but I was like, oh, well, I was actually just calling you because um, I just went to the ultrasound, and they said that there is no heartbeat. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry, Karen. Like, you know, these things happen, and you know, it's nothing that you did wrong. Like, these things just happen, and you had a son, you got pregnant. Like, these things just happen. And there's probably just a defect in the fetus somewhere, and it's just Mother Nature taking it, taking it back. And I thought, okay, yeah. And he's like, well, let me call you back. I haven't got the ultrasound um, stuff yet, so let me let me call you back when I get it. I said, okay. So I go home. And then a couple hours later, his nurse called me and said, yeah, okay, so what we want to do is obviously we want to see if you'll pass it naturally. And now I have, like, I'm nine weeks at this point, almost 10. And so I'm like, okay, like, fair, I get that. And um, so she said, well, we'll give you the weekend. And on Monday, we're going to schedule you a phone and or a phone call with the doctor. And he'll call you and then we can discuss your options and see where you're at. And I said, okay, fine. So I'm at home and everyone's calling me. Like my dad called me, like, you know, not, not knowing what's going on. And of course I'm staring up, I'm crying. And everyone's like, oh, like what happened, right? And so um, that night my mom left, she went back home to her house. And um, like, she technically still has her house on her farm, um, but she just works out in BC right now. So that kind of the backstory there. Um, and then I finally, like, you know, it's so funny because she's got her trauma with this, with her loss that she's never dealt with. I mean, back then, that generation, they were told to suck it up and deal with it, and you don't talk about it, right? There's that stigma. And she, she had a hard life with certain things. And, you know, the one person that can relate to me, and yeah, her, her story is way worse than mine, but the one person who can relate is the one person who could not help me. And that was probably the hardest thing. I love her to pieces. You know, she didn't even give me a hug. It was just that, okay, yeah, you move on now. And it's like, keep it. That was okay for you maybe, which now it's coming back up now that you're in your 50s and it's not a good thing. Like you need to deal with this. And I'm like, I don't want to be you in 40 years because I didn't deal with this trauma. So I was kind of excited when she went home that night because I was just like, now I can get baby to bed and then I can just cry and cry. And the worst thing I did was go on Facebook and I literally found this group that was like all about like miscarriages. And that's where I found out about my options. And everything I read was if you don't pass it naturally, um, you will end up having to do the DNC or the mesmerable. But everything I read about that drug was horrible. Like basically you have a murder scene in your bathroom and you are in immense pain for seven to 10 hours. And it's just the worst thing ever. And I was like, hell no. <laughs> not even happening. 
was like, I'm going to get a DNC and get this done. And because like, hello, Christmas is in a week, <laughs> you know, like with my luck, I'll end up miscarrying at my grandparents' house on Christmas day and then being rushed to the hospital and having hysterectomy because that's my luck. <laughs> Something will go wrong. And then I read too that if you don't deal with it right away, and then you end up having to go in for a DNC to get the remainder, you can actually hurt yourself even more. So I was like, hell no, DNC all the way. So my doctor called me on Monday and I said, yeah, I want DC. Like, I don't want anything else. I want the DNC and be done with it. And he said, okay, I'll call it on call and I'll see if we can get in. So in Canada, and I wish it was like the States. In Canada, we, it, we actually get knocked out for it. And it's a surgery at our hospital. And it's a pain in the ass, which you'll hear in a moment. Whereas, you know, from listening to the lamp bam, all the girls that are in, I know the States, it's like you go into your guy's office and then it's done in 20 minutes and then you go home kind of thing. Yeah, the same thing here in Canada, but you're knocked out. So it's a whole big, it's like, it just is huge. So um, by this point, I had found the land found. So I had been listening to the podcast, which honestly was the only thing that got me through this. That helped me because there were other women going through this at the same time I was. You know, my friends and family are great, but I don't really know anyone who's gone through miscarriage. And I just, I always looking back, like even before Mateo, I always had this feeling that because none of my friends had miscarriages, I was going to be that one. And sure enough, I was. <laughs> like, what? And, you know, it, it, it was hard. So uh, my doctor called me back and he said, yeah, I'm scheduled to go in on the Wednesday for my DNC, which is the 23rd of December. So great, uh, right? Yeah, or Thursday, whatever the 23rd of December was, that's the day I was going in. And um, I said, okay, and they said, okay, you can't eat or drink past 8 p.m. and you have to be there at 7 a.m. Great, fine. So I, uh, my mom says, yeah, she'll watch this video and me and my husband go to the hospital on the 23rd at 7 a.m. and I get checked in and you know, <laughs> this is the worst part. So I found out, A, like this is part of it, that the doctor doing it was actually the doctor, the uncle doctor who delivered my son. And he was great. He was fantastic. So I'm like, well, I'm, I'm in good hands. But I, um, I get there and I, I sat down, they made me sit down after checking in. And the nurse with this big bellowing loud voice comes out. And luckily I'm like the only one in here, minus one person with a heart issue that's like six years old. She comes up and she's like, Fallon? Like, she said my name so wrong. And I'm already pissed. Like, I'm crying already by this point that, like, this is happening. This is legit happening. And I'm just like, what? And I'm just, I was mad. And she's like, what are you here for? And I'm like, a D and C. It should be on my records. But it's am pissed. And she's like, well, we don't have that information. So we have to make sure we know what we're doing. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm like, so I, my husband took over and he started talking for me because I was about to lose my mind. I was so mad. I literally sat there because what I was concerned was an add-on surgery. So at the end of the day, if they have room, they'll put you on. So I literally sat at the hospital for 12 freaking hours, just in there by myself because my husband had to work. And I sat there and sat there. And they finally gave me an ID to give me some sort of like nourishment, but I hadn't eaten. So by the time like five o'clock rolls around, I'm pissed. I'm sick and days are still waiting and they keep bumping me. And my 
husband's friends with one of the anesthesiologists. So he's like, yeah, she's going to be in by like 8 p.m. tonight if she's lucky, but she might get bombed. I'm like, fuck, oh, are you kidding me? I just wasted a whole day. I'm going back to work January 4th, and I wasted a whole day with my son just to stay here to be bumped. And I was, I was being mad. And then I felt so bad because I kind of yelled at one of these young nurses. She must have been me when I think I scared her a little bit. But I was like, when am I going in? I haven't eaten in over 24 hours now. I'm pissed off. Like, when am I going in? And she's like, oh, well, hopefully soon. But they don't really tell us because Canada's health system sucks. Yeah, it might be free. We still pay our tax dollars for it. And it's horrible. I was like, like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my money. The doctor comes. So at seven o'clock, my mom had called because my husband had sat with me for a little bit. And my mom had called and said, your son needs a parent home. Like, you guys have to come home, whatever. So my husband literally left to go, like, relieve her. And the doctor comes in. He had just walked in the door at our house. And the doctor had come in to talk to me. He said, oh, yeah, um, because they're behind from Monday, you, your um, surgery actually got bumped to tomorrow morning. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, I just waited 12 hours just like for you guys to tell me this. I'm like, why did I have to be here at 7 a.m. when I couldn't be in here tomorrow morning? Oh, that's just how the rules are. And he's like, otherwise I can give you the medicine. I was like, hell no, I'm not taking that medicine because something will go wrong. So I was like, fine, I will come back tomorrow at 7 a.m. and hopefully I get in. And then the other nurse was nice enough to tell me how they work. So you actually have like a certain amount of time that they have to do these surgeries in and mine was 24 hours. So I was like one of the first people in the docket to get my surgery. So the next day we go into registration and this girl registration, and again, I felt so bad. And my husband works here, by the way. So, you know, bad, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm so open at this point. She has no record of me. I'm like, look at my freaking wristband here. Like, get me in like, what is happening why does nobody know what's happening and then like just so insensitive to my situation you know and i like oh i was mad and i felt so bad now looking back i shouldn't be so mean but i'm just like no one seems to give a shit about what's going on at all like what and i was just oh it was horrible so i finally get in this time though these surgeries closed because it's a, it's christmas eve so I go, they put me on the maternity recovery ward. So as I'm walking in, I'm hearing all the babies cry. And actually it's funny, that girl I know was on there having her third baby. The day, the day after I found out that my baby had no heartbeat, one of my good friends announced that she was pregnant for the second time and she had a hell of a time making it the first time. And I'm just like, this is a cruel and unusual joke. Like everywhere I look, people I know are getting pregnant and it's another pregnant. And some of them, I'm like, how, like, how do you get a baby? But I don't, like, what? And that's all I kept thinking was how, like, I must have done something so horrible. Like, I must be that horrible human being that people say, because otherwise, why would this have happened to me? Why would I have lost my baby, you know? And every day, multiple times a day, I ask my husband, are we ever going to have another baby? Especially when you look at people who don't deserve kids and they get them, like, what? So anyways, I finally get wheeled back at 10 a.m. for my DNC, and it turns out that there was 19 DNCs that day um, from what our friend told us because they were so backlogged. I was out by noon, and I felt like a weight lifted off me. Like, I felt so much better um, knowing that it was done, which was horrible because I was like, no, it's gone. 
but at least you know, I can move on because that was one thing I needed. I needed it to be done so I could be move on and heal and you know be feel better. But those two weeks were horrible. What should be a great time was a horrible time. The best thing that could have happened was me going back to work on the fourth. It's changed so much. Like I feel so much now that I'm not sitting at home dwelling on it. I feel a lot better. Everything went well in my DNC. I go for my follow-up on February 3rd, I think it is. Um, I have already started ovulating and I I know exactly kind of when my period's supposed to come and we did kind of start five before my period. Um, the doctor said it was only to wait till your first period for dating purposes. Um, so I may or may not get my period. I don't know. Probably. I try to just the if we get prayed, great. If we don't, whatever. But um, I mean, I don't recommend doing that. But it, it's hard. Um, it's hard when you see, like, uh, one of my cousins, she announced that she's pregnant and she's due in July, mid July, just like I was supposed to be due on July 16th. So that was hard. But I didn't sit down and ball my eyes out like I did when my friend announced the day after I thought that I had no baby um it's you know I I'm starting to be able to see these things a little bit better which is nice um I don't have to cry all the time about it now um I don't ask my husband a million times a day if we're gonna ever have another baby it's like once a day now <laughs> um which I know he's being super annoyed with but it's just I'm I'm just that person I dwell I'm a dweller I have anxiety about this kind of stuff and um I did find out why, what happened. Um, turns out that I was nine weeks and six days pregnant, technically, but the baby had passed on six days, like at the nine week mark. Um, it turned out that there was a tear in the fetus or placenta somewhere in there, and that it made it unviable, basically. The baby could survive it. Um, nothing that I could have done to change it. Uh, my doctor did say, though, I wish she had done the blood work. We could have seen, and maybe that would have given us some information on something. I mean, obviously, I know going forward that I will do it right as soon as I get it next time. Um, I'm just scared of having another one. That's kind of my biggest fear. I'm scared of having another miscarriage. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know, I just have this feeling that maybe I'm going to have two before I actually have a viable pregnancy, which is scary to me. And I hope that's not true, but we'll see, I guess. Um, yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And, you know, it's funny because I was texting with my friend the other day and, you know, I, my story is even that bad compared to some people who've gone through multiple miscarriages. Like I have a cousin who's gone through many, many miscarriages and she's finally pregnant her second. You know, I... I, um, you know, the stillborns and stuff like, you know, these are horrible things. And, you know, my story is nothing compared to some of the women who talked on the podcast here, and that still hurts. And I still don't understand why there's such a stigma nowadays about this. You know, like, why is it because people are scared because we lost someone that they don't want to talk about? Like, I don't understand why we, this isn't something in this day we should talk about. I just, I don't get it. And it's funny because when I was texting my friend, um, like they're, they want to have a second one, but they don't know if they can just because of some things that happened over the last year. And uh, she had asked me how I was doing, and I told her what happened. And uh, I told her I was doing this podcast this weekend, and she said, uh, wow, you're really strong. Like, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. And I thought, you know, it has nothing to do with being strong. It has everything to do with me having to have this closure and this healing for me to do this and to hopefully help one other person. I mean, 
like, I don't know what's worse, having a miscarriage before having a viable pregnancy or having a miscarriage after you've already had one baby and know that you have no issues, that there's absolutely nothing preventing you from having a baby and being able to get pregnant easily. Like, I know I can get pregnant. I know I can have a baby. So I don't know what's worse. Honestly, I don't, I don't know what's worse. I think they're both horrible and, you know, and it's hard, but I just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I just keep fighting and I just keep hoping that we'll have another one. and. All we can do is try, I guess. So yeah, that's kind of my story. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. I always ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Um, a couple of things. There was one uh, other lady on the podcast who said, give yourself grace. And I didn't really think about that until I heard her podcast. And, you know, I thought that's so true. Like, you have to give yourself grace. You have to give yourself time to heal and to feel those big emotions. I know it sucks and it's hard, but to have those emotions, you have to do that um, and to deal with it. Like, don't just, don't do what they used to do 30 years ago, you know, like talk to someone if you have to, you know, deal with it how you need to deal with it so that you can have closure because it will affect you later on down the road um, in your life. So I think that's a big one. And like getting help and then talking about it like I it's so funny go back to work and like I'm an open book like I will tell you anything you want to know like I don't I don't care there's no unless it's something very secretive I mean I will talk about anything and it's funny because I've talked about my miscarriage at work I'm like yeah it happened and it is what it is like you know and maybe one day someone will come to me and say you know I'm having a hard time struggling with this I can say look at I did this podcast go check it out or you know, like I've been through this too, and this is what I did to help. And I think allowing yourself to heal is a big one and finding those outlets, I guess, um, on how to get your mind off of it and heal yourself is a big one. And I mean, I'm lucky because, you know, I, I as much as I wanted to sit on the couch and wallow and cry, I couldn't, I had a toddler at home. So in that sense, it was kind of nice having him because it took my mind off of it and I could, you know, focus my time and efforts on him. If I didn't have him, I don't, I don't know how that would be. Like I'd probably be in bed right now crying. <laughs> so I think just giving yourself grace and giving yourself time to heal and don't be scared to seek out that help, whatever that looks like. If that's your husband, if that's your counselor, a friend, whatever, right? Just don't bottle it up. Yeah, absolutely. And it could even be a stranger. Like I know I personally have an easier time talking to strangers about it than I do talking to people in my life about it. Um, And it's strangers who get it. I don't just mean like any stranger, like like the strangers (laughs) who get it, the lamb fam, like that you guys are the people that I talk to and it looks different for everybody, but um, we need more people who are open books like you, because think about it. If we didn't have certain people talking about it, then who would those people know to turn to? Well, and exactly. And the funny thing is, is the whole time I was in the hospital waiting for the stupid surgery. Um, and I should, I should clarify too, they did the vacuum one on me. They didn't do the scraping. Um, so just, yeah. And I loved it. It was great. I, I literally, literally only bled for like two weeks, not even, and it was very light. Mm-hmm. do the surgery if like I know it's scary do the surgery <laughs> like Honestly, I, I, if I've learned anything from this podcast I agree <laughs> yeah um but the whole time I was in the hospital all I did was listen to the podcast 
I probably had gone back all the way to like 2019 and stuff. Because that's, um, that's what I did. That's what I listened to. And I cried. I laughed. I'm sure people that could watch by could hear me laughing or crying because I'm just quite crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's what helped me get through it, honestly, just listen to the podcast. And um, yeah. And do the surgery. <laughs> Don't wait for it to happen naturally. Don't do the medication. Oh. <laughs> I just hear so many horror stories of the medication. I know it works for some people, but damn, some of the stories, I'm just like, wow. Well, and everything I heard and I read was like, don't do it. Horrible, horrible. No one that, I never saw one good story from it. I was like, yeah, no, I can't. I mentally cannot handle that, nor can I physically. <laughs> yeah, like, there's so many women who then end up having to get a DNC anyways, and they go through all yeah. that trauma that the medication brought. And then they have to go through the surgery anyways. And it's like, that's just. Yeah. And I've heard too that like, if you do it that way, or even if you try to do it naturally, and then you pass some of it, but not all of it, like going in and do the surgery is way riskier at that point than it is if you just did it the first time. Yeah. And like, the one thing that really stood out to me that I kept saying myself too, was there was one gal that did a podcast on the LAM, on Blantham, and she had said that her friend had told her that getting a DNC was like spring kicking her uterus. And that really, really stuck with me. Um, and that's where I was like, yeah, that's, that's so true. That is very true. It's, it is. So I was like, to me, getting the DNC is a pain in the ass, but I knew coming out of that, like I probably have no risk after that. And I would be free. Like it'd be done. Right. There's no question about it. It's done. And, like you said, it's spring in your uterus so that all the bad is out and you can go on with the new and hope and pray that it works next time, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I remember that episode. Yeah. <laughs> spring cleaning of the uterus. Such a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so thank you. I can't remember your name, but thank you. So I know. Much. I'm like, who said it? I can't remember, but I remember that episode. She's in the UK. I know that. She's in the UK. And thank you so much. You really stuck with me. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, if somebody reach, wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Yeah, so they can, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so Facebook is just Farron DeChico. Um, and then Instagram is at Farron.DeChico. So again, I'm one of the early adopters who used my name. Um, and yeah, like I'm, yeah, I would love to have people reach out to me. And you know, I'm all about like, if you want to have a phone call or a Zoom call with me, I'm so up for that. Like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you are so cute. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Good luck moving forward and keep us posted. For sure. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your life after miscarriage story, go to shellymetling.com. Click on the life after miscarriage tab and add yourself right to the recording schedule. And I can't wait to chat with you soon. Next one.